0: Kaplan a TV writer in Hollywood with a PhD in philosophy.
1: And I'm Taylor Carmen, I'm a philosophy professor at Columbia University Barnard College and I teach and write stuff about existentialism and the meaning of life and beauty and truth and all that.
0: And this is Terrifying Questions and how not to be terrified by them. And it is a philosophy podcast where we look at terrifying questions and we think about them and we try to find our way to a place where we and you uh, can feel courageous.
1: All right. So we have a terrifying question and a guest, right, Eric?
0: That's right. A question and a guest. So the question is, does desire lead to suffering? And our guest, we're very happy to have uh, Laura Desiree. And Laura is here in, the, uh, in person. And she is a journalist uh, who works in the adult industry and covers issues related to human sexuality right
2: and the pursuit of pleasure and, absolutely and the pursuit of pleasure well
0: <laughs> thanks for being
2: here thank you for having me
0: so so we should cut to the chase is the pursuit of pleasure a, a fool's errand because it leads to pain
2: i think we are compelled to experience it the ache of desire i i I just got to the basics here of this. When we asked, does desire lead to suffering? Mm -hmm. I thought about my desires. I thought about specifically, let's say I desire a person. All right. And I want them. And my mind is occupied by every possible fantasy of experiencing them. In that moment, there's an ache in me. Mm -hmm. In that experience, I do exert an audible whimper. If you were to extract that whimper (laughs) and you were to air it for someone with no context, they would say that person's suffering. That's what it sounds like. Yes.
0: Right. Okay. You could avoid it. You could say, I've been down this road before and it's led to disappointment. So I won't. So when you say you're compelled to, I mean, I mean, look, are you really compelled? I guess that's the question.
2: I think the reward is sweeter. We can up the ante of our desires and that is going to equate to the pain we experience in wanting it. So I find that there's an incredible reward if there's been some suffering in the pursuit of it.
0: Okay. Okay, so that's fair. What do you you think of that position, Taylor? I I jumped to the question a little bit before I justified the question because I think everybody's been there. Everybody grown up enough to listen to a podcast on philosophy has been there, but, but maybe I shouldn't have.
1: Yeah. So let's see, there's several things going on here. I mean, some desires are themselves pleasurable, I think. Um, In other words, it can be a kind of ache and a lack and a suffering. You suffer. I mean, sometimes the word suffer doesn't mean pain. It just means that you're undergoing it. Like uh, you don't suffer fools gladly. It means you don't tolerate them. So there's a weaker sense of suffering in which it might be a suffering, but there's sometimes a pleasure that goes along with just desiring something. When you're hungry and you're smelling a good meal and it smells great, you're enjoying the scent of it and that's you're desiring it. And I don't know that that's an ache so much as a, anticip- like a foretaste of the pleasure you're going to get satisfying the desire. So that's one thought I have about...
0: Is that what you're talking about? The, the oh. foretaste of the pleasure you'll get satisfying the desire.
2: If I'm enjoying the pleasure of a good smelling meal, let's say I want to eat it. Right. Yeah. I want to taste it. At the very least, I want that.
1: Yeah, okay. sure you do. So
2: there's the want.
1: Yeah, yes. there's the want. And want also means lack, right? So you're lacking it. You want it. If you don't get it, you'll be frustrated and you'll be unhappy. And that's what philosophers, I think, have often been more worried about is not the immediate gratification that comes with satisfying the desire. But like, what then? What happens when the desire ebbs and you're left satisfied? Then do you feel empty and disappointed and bored and (laughs) so on? That's a kind of suffering that's very different, right? And that's another thing to worry about. I mean, if the desire just led to pleasure and the pleasure could be sort of infinitely sustained, that might be great. (laughs) But it's not. It never I, is, right?
2: I hadn't even considered the aftermath ah, of once I get what I want. Ah, ah, ah.
0: Well, there's
1: there's the rub, though, so to speak. <laughs> well, let's
0: broaden our discussion a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, and I guess the, the aphorism that I heard was Marilyn Monroe supposedly said, they always go to bed with Marilyn, but they wake up the next morning with Norma Jean." Uh, mm-hmm. Is everyone doomed to that? In other words, does your desire paint a sort of exciting picture which reality never measures up to.
2: The fantasy of it motivates us for sure. The unknown of it is a great motivator. Right. Um, So I do believe that that needs to exist in order to move forward in whatever effort it is to accomplish and to attain this desire. Yeah, I think we do fantasize it. We do make it perhaps slightly altered, better enhanced than what it may actually be.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. So that's going to lead to disappointment inevitably. If we have a fantasy that things are going to be more fun than they are, and then they turned out not to be fun, then that that's going to lead to people being bummed out,
1: right?
2: Is it disappointing or has the high just come to an end? <laughs> I don't know.
1: There's this line in a T.S. Eliot poem that's something like, uh, Terminate torment of love unsatisfied, the greater torment of love satisfied. Now that's a pretty bleak view, but uh, I think he he had that idea that there's something even worse, greater torment of love satisfied. That sounds like the aftermath that you pick up the pieces. And now, I I don't share this view, so I'm not advocating it. But a lot of people have worried that the hangover is a kind of depression or pain that maybe Do you share this yeah. view.
2: It's a drop. It's a drop. There's, there's, a, there's a drop after yeah.
0: that. One could accuse the adult industry of selling the fantasy in a way that ultimately is going to lead to people being more frustrated.
2: <laughs> now we're entering a debate about just how influential the available depictions of sexuality right. are and that we're limited to only those ones to develop our fantasies around, say, right. c- sexuality. Okay,
0: so I, then I'll take it back. Because yes. I'm, I'm not too interested in... I mean, it's interesting, but for the sake of today, mm-hmm. I'm sort of more interested in do human beings always over promise and under deliver like are, are we always in the business of saying oh if you just love me and i love you it's going to be terrific but then it's not that terrific and then if that's true what should the wiser people among us counsel like what should we for ourselves for people we care about
2: I, I believe there's a, a population of us that are prone to this surge of, I call it a romantic way of living. When you say I'm a hopeless romantic, you, right. you inflate this feeling of desire and you, you, it, it compels you. It's, I mean, it dizzies me sometimes. I'm a hardcore romantic. Sometimes mm-hmm. I have to steady myself against a wall and catch my breath. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's not, not everyone dials it up to this level. Um, I, I do, I enjoy that. It is a torture. It certainly is a suffering, mm-hmm. but it makes me aware of my humanity in the moment. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's this might be a this might be a fun and dangerous take, but it's a form of a meditation mm-hmm. because I'm so present mm. because all I can think about is that, and I'm anchored in it. And I'm aware of the responses that my body is alarming with, right. you know, that the ache. Of yeah. Energy. Well,
0: that's, that's an old Hindu idea that the gopis who were in love, they were cow herd women and they were in love with Krishna now, I think it might have been a fairly chaste love because I think he was seven when this was all happening, <laughs> but they were in love with Krishna and that was considered to be a guide to spiritual meditation. The way that they were so obsessed that they would look at Krishna and then they would, wouldn't notice what was happening in the world. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's that rings true. Mm-hmm. That rings true that there could be a way to focus your life in what would you call it? Romantic obsession? Mm-hmm. Romantic obsession. Romantic
2: obsession. Romantic obsession. Romantic possession. Yeah. You know, it, it's. I I I've, okay. I've been thinking about this question, and I've been tossing it around in different conversations since we said we'd get together and do yes. this. Yes. And I've even found that I end up shortening the question itself to simply: Is desire suffering? Mm. Mm-hmm. Is desire suffering?
0: Right. Well, let me ask you: Is is numbness suffering?
1: Oh. Oh interesting question it's a lack of feeling anything so it's a a, by definition a lack of pleasure but maybe you're suffering the lack of pleasure but it's because
0: i would argue that there's two ways that life can suck (laughs) (laughs) at least i I don't want to say only (laughs) yeah okay listeners will be like i can think of (laughs) two. there's at least two ways that life can suck one is you're experiencing something really shitty and painful the other is you're not experiencing anything at all and maybe desire can end numbness mm-hmm. and numbness seems to me like i'm anti-numbness personally because i sort of feel like well when we're dead we're probably going to be numb so let's give what <laughs> life has to offer a run let's see what it has to say <laughs> because we'll, we'll spend plenty of time being dead and if it turns out that that's fantastic we'll get to experience that you'll have plenty of it then yeah You'll plenty of (laughs) it, plenty of numb insensitivity (laughs) in the grave, but we're alive. So maybe we should experience the other side of Mm -hmm. of experiencing both pleasure and pain. I like that.
2: Yeah. yeah, Numbness. I think the answer to it really is to develop some desires, consider some desires. I mean, it's the reason why our culture says, you know, make a vision board, take an ayahuasca trip, you know, (laughs) like create some kind of a desire that you have for your life right and that gets us out of the numbness and
0: and i wonder if people doing that are creating a desire or acknowledging a desire that was there already that they were numbing out to uh, i mean i suppose it's six of one or half a dozen of the other no, Who cares?
1: But, no i don't think so it goes back to the question you asked before eric like are we driven to this or do we choose it because mm-hmm. i would be tempted to say there's a kind of level of desire that you can't choose or not choose because it's instinctive. It's part of being alive. That's what's driving you to anything is a kind of desire. And in fact, the faculty of desire, according to Kant, is just setting a goal or aiming at a goal. It's just the sort of the goal-directedness of action. That's what he calls the faculty of desire. So it doesn't really mean you're hungry or thirsty or whatever. And Schopenhauer takes this up too. For Schopenhauer, just to be alive is to be engaged in a kind of volition and desiring. And that's just what it is to be alive. So it's not optional. It's not voluntary. But
0: Schopenhauer thought desire was
1: bad well it's did that mean he believed
0: life was bad Well, kind of he yeah,
1: have, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah schopenhauer's i tell my students schopenhauer's position can be summed up uh by the slogan life's a bitch and then you die right. so <laughs> what he said was life is pain it's not that desire is bad uh it's that you are effectively desire it's only bad when it comes crashing up against the world <laughs> which is what it is to be alive and conscious when you're conscious of the world, the world is like the rocks that the waves are crashing on. And that's why being alive is suffering and it hurts. So the less mm. of that you can have, the better. And you don't get to zero until you're dead. And then you're just will that's not crashing up against the world. What do you make of that, Laura?
2: Well, he, I, are you I down want
1: with this Schopenhauer area yeah. thing.
2: But it's also the the Buddhist thing of yes. life is suffering, right? Yeah, exactly. But, he
1: was he was reading Buddha's Buddhist texts and he was very influenced by yeah, Buddhism. Yeah.
2: Totally aligned. But Taylor, you were saying you were talking of these instinctual desires mm-hmm. that we yeah. have. Yeah. And yeah. I want to break those down. Good. Can we can we Good. get like an inventory of what would be instinctual desires ah. that are just a part of us? Right. Well, food, sex, sleep,
1: basic bodily comfort. I'm sure if you explore it, it turns out there's a lot more elimination. Right, digestion um, is going on. Yeah, I'm sure there's actually the breathing
0: the, is uh, a big one. Right. Yeah. Right. You, um, you hold. You, if we all held our breath, we would suddenly realize that's a really important one.
2: Wait, that's a desire. We would consider that a desire. We'd well, classify it a desire. I'm going to breathe. do
0: an experiment right now. I'm going to hold my breath.
1: <laughs> Pretty soon, you're going to yes, watch the breathe. Yes, it's a desire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I really wanted to breathe. I don't know if biologists distinguish between desires and reflexes, but
2: I don't know if you can do that one to yourself. Now, if I were to take your breathing ability away,
1: I would really want some breath. (laughs) (laughs) Very much. Uh, So I bet the list is a lot longer. The ones people tend to focus on the ones that are obvious that you have to kind of manage day by day or month by month or whatever is. Nobody's um, writing
0: a philosophy book who is currently being strangled. (laughs) <laughs> so a certain level so priorities of comfort yeah comfort <laughs> with certainly yes you can eliminate but like having sex you could be like
1: do i even want to
0: go to the trouble <laughs> goodness you know right. that's something people can have a conversation about
1: well and then there's the question of like which of these desires if you don't satisfy them, do you die? Uh, right. So hunger and thirst are like that, and maybe temperature changes, cold and hot. Was it? Mm. Uh, was it the? Who's Diogenes who said it would be great if you could satisfy your hunger just by rubbing your stomach? The way
0: he, you could satisfy your sexual desire by rubbing your sexual organs. He didn't right. say that. So. I was going to leave
1: that kind of implied, but it's good you made no, it explicit. No, I don't yeah.
0: trust the audience enough I, <laughs> I feel like you
1: need to draw a line. In there. Right, but the idea is that yeah, well, not only is it in that crude sense, it's an easy desire to satisfy. I don't think that's really that exactly the desire uh, best understood, but you don't die from celibacy unless very indirectly, if it affects your blood pressure Speak for or yourself. something like that, <laughs> I would die without it. Yeah. yeah. Here's, okay.
0: Yeah. Here's an interesting question. You sometimes read articles. I don't know if it's true, but I've sometimes read articles which said people are just masturbating to pornography these days and they're okay. And they don't go out and have sex with other people. First of all, is that true?
2: Yeah, porn is a huge influence on our sexual behaviors and the availability of it certainly does influence us. So there are people out there.
0: So there's people out there if they have the physical desire to have an orgasm, yeah. they can just do it at home with the, the aid of a computer. Of course. Right? And they don't need to have their heart broken. They don't need to risk having their heart broken or being rejected.
2: That's that's absolutely correct.
0: Okay. Let's talk about how we would make the argument that they should risk having their heart broken and being rejected when we come back from the break. Well, that was a great break. What do you think? So you're talking to someone who says, they're sort of a Diogenes cynic. And they say, I've been given certain Mm -hmm. biological needs. They're taken care of by, you know, Chipotle Mm -hmm. and also by Pornhub. So I'm good. My biology is good. Um, I have Chipotle for my nutritive needs. I have Pornhub for my needs for an orgasm. And you want to say, no, you should go out there and risk being rejected and risk having your heart broken.
2: Why? Because it's a, a human desire for connection. I see. Connection. That's one of the instinctual ones that Taylor was talking about. I'm adding that to the list. Connection. Human connection, mm-hmm. human interaction. And I may even argue that a reliance on, say, Pornhub or Chipotle, let's go mm. Pornhub. Let's say Pornhub. Mm. I would think that a, a dependence on that to satisfy whatever it is, the sexual urge is, you may actually build a numbness.
0: The same argument can be made about Chipotle, I think, <laughs> because you're not growing the beans. You're not cooking them yourself. You're not getting together with your family and sharing them. Mm. You're simply having the nutritive mm. button in your brain
1: pressed. For well, the side. other thing is that the sexual desire is more obviously social because Diogenes didn't have internet access or Pornhub. He was just talking about isolated, solitary. But he was a public masturbator. Let's let's Ah, let's, for those at home who don't know that. That's true. That's right. Okay, so it was still social. Uh, But I was going to say about the porn stuff is that notice there are human beings in the porn, so it's still a kind of derivative social interpersonal. I mean, it's obviously one way, one directional. I'm I'm not saying that, but with Chipotle, you can just go get the burrito and take it home and eat it and. Uh, there doesn't have to be little <laughs> paper figurines and dolls of people to sit up around the table around you to give you the sense of having a meal. You just eat the burrito. Right. So it, the sexual stuff is That's all a
0: beautiful scene for our independent movie, by yeah, the
1: way. Exactly I, right. I like that. <laughs> they should give you it's like the happy meal to make it really feel like a meal. The happy
0: meal should come with a pretend family to share it with. That's beautiful.
1: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you're right. I think when you said you're not sharing it with your family, that would make it and I do think there's a real difference between a meal and uh, fast food in a bag that you take home with you. Uh, even the porn stuff is still depictions of human beings. You're still look at human beings and you're pretending fantasizing interaction. But
2: you don't have to risk rejection. That's you don't right. have to risk failure. You don't have to risk it's still, you know, a it's, bad experience.
1: No, no, it's still not a real substitute. But what I mean is that I was sort of, Um, agreeing with you that it's implicitly social what it's really banking on is at least the kind of the fantasy or the imagination that you're connecting with people and that shows you that the connection with the people is really the real object of desire that's merely simulated in the porn Uh, Mm.
2: yeah so that's interesting
1: so i think that's interesting
0: i want to ask something else now following up on it what is it we want from another person
2: their attention
0: all right on Uh, us i see and how come
2: because we desire it we desire someone's entire attention on us it feeds the ego it feeds the sense of i am here right now i am worthy right i am worthy of someone's attention mm-hmm. i mean we we need that reaffirmed constantly
0: so i see i see some trouble down the line here which is you would like the undivided attention of as many people as possible i don't mean you personally i just mentioned so i don't know what you're saying but but the ego wants the undivided attention of as many people as possible
1: of course why as many as
0: possible but if one person is getting attention from four people then it seems that three people are getting attention from no people is that right it seems like this is a problem if if (laughs) what we're doing is is maxing out on attention then it seems like we're going to be at each other's throats.
2: right? And social media has not made it any better. These vanity projects of how many likes, followers, friends do Uh, I have, do I get, right. right?
0: So this is a pessimistic conclusion, which I'm hoping to avoid. But let's just first say what it is, which is we don't just need burritos and orgasms. We also need attention. But that attention is something where the more, the better and therefore we're always going to be on social media trying to fight for this limited resource. And do we're think doing that's it less.
2: True? I do. We're doing it less with actual humans we're sharing this life with. I mean that's that's the rise of technology and I think that it does have a very dark future road for us.
1: Yeah. I have the urge to draw yet another distinction. Nice. So Please, the epicureans distinguish good desires from bad desires. And the good desires are the ones that are kind of self Gratifying or self limiting. They thought the best kinds of pleasures are satisfaction of appetites, something like that. You eat the meal, you're full, and then you're happy for a little while. But there are other kinds of open ended desires that never reach a natural completion. And like the desire for fame and money and power, that no amount is enough. To make you feel like the desire plateaus and is satisfied and the likes you know you get a thousand ten thousand hundred thousand how many does it take until you feel ah now i'm full none because it's open-ended and i think the open-endedness of it is very dangerous when it's actual interaction with people i was wondering eric why you said as many people as possible because oftentimes the attention of one single person is enough to gratify that um that desire right well You've got what somebody's do you think? full undivided okay. attention. are
0: you satisfied with yeah. the undivided attention of? Well, first of all, one person, and second of all, any old
1: person, <laughs> <laughs> or any yeah. young person. Sure.
2: there are different kinds of people that okay. grant a different kind of satisfaction okay. when they're. So you know, what are you, That's you, my question: is why What?
0: Right. You, what is, and I keep saying you, and it's it's weird, but I, I uh, one. What does one want? in another person. And the first answer you gave was the undivided attention mm-hmm. of a person. But now I think that might not be true. I think it might be something more specific. And the reason why I'm hoping it's not true is because I'm trying to avoid this Epicurean problem, which is that it's a, it's like addiction. It's a bottomless desire to be paid attention to, which will never make anyone
2: happy. Don't we just call those people ambitious? Mm.
0: Ambition should be made of sterner stuff. I mean, it depends what someone's ambition is
2: let will say they want, they continue to want more. They continue to more want, more. do we not just call them ambitious? Oh,
0: well, I think people can have different ambitions. Like I think um, like Volodymyr Zelensky, he's ambitious. I mean, he's the head of a country, but I, I think he kind of wants to achieve some sort of good result for his people. He just doesn't want to be even more famous next year than he was last year. I, I mean, I, or, and uh, again, we're using him as an example. Who knows what he's really like. But
2: So the attention itself.
0: I'm saying maybe we don't just want more and more attention. We want a specific kind of attention that a particular person can give us. And I'm wondering what that is.
2: A compassionate, engaging an engaging attention because Mm -hmm. anyone could just stand in front of me and stare at me. It doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily satisfy that hunger I have for someone's attention. It's an interaction that goes along with it, Mm -hmm. a successful interaction. Did I make that person feel good? Did I secure a good impression of myself? Did we enjoy our shared time together? Uh Perhaps I'm just revealing that I'm a people pleaser.
0: (laughs) So you want your own self-worth to be reflected back in the other person's appreciation of your worth
2: i wish i had less of it yeah you less of what less of that desire
0: but you do want that
2: i enjoy it it feels good
0: so that's one thing does that inevitably lead to suffering taylor what do you think the idea that others validation will make us feel worthwhile?
1: I don't think so. Other than that, all kinds of things in life, there's a little bit of suffering involved and a little bit of pleasure, but it doesn't balance out on the suffering side. But I will say that Schopenhauer and the Stoics and the Epicureans, I think they all were very suspicious of this kind of thing because they thought there's a real danger, especially with these open-ended, like, I want as much money as possible or as many likes as possible. That's almost by definition going to disappoint you because you will never get enough. Yeah, though, that's not cool. Let's get rid of that. Let's mm-hmm. move okay, on to but, but when else. you said, when you initially Eric said attention from as many people as possible, I hadn't heard Laura say that. And when I said maybe just one, you're right. How about a five, a dozen, a hundred, whatever? I mean, isn't there only so many people whose attention you can even process? And beyond that, if they're just numbers ticking off, it becomes this abstract thing like your bank account where no amount of money is going to make you feel full. <laughs> there isn't any such thing as full when it comes to money. But I think that these Stoics, Epicureans, what they all had in common was... They were very risk averse. Mm-hmm. They thought you're a fool if you're taking a risk because the more risky you're acting, the more it's almost going to become guaranteed that it's going to wind up with misery. And I think it's partly because they were living in a very harsh world where the dangers were extreme. And we may have just forgotten all the ways in which ordinary life was for them just fraught with so much.
2: So, what would be your reward in
1: ah, that life? Equanimity. The reward would be only wanting as much as you can reasonably expect to get and that the the Epicureans and the Stoics differed a little bit. The Epicureans thought desire is fine and pleasure is good, but pleasure for them is really this just return to a kind of equilibrium, and it's something like numbness. It's sort of like when you're not feeling anything, you're happy. But the Stoics really thought any desire beyond what you can reasonably expect to satisfy easily is already a very bad idea. (laughs) Now, that's not my view, but I think Schopenhauer had that idea, too. And it's just, it's an ethic of extreme cautiousness and I think ultimately pessimism, because I agree with you, Laura, about the the mm. overall view is very bleak it's that you can't expect any real joy from risk taking and satisfaction and unsatisfaction and disappointment and at the extremes of pleasure and uh, call it ambition. I mean, I think, ironically, Christianity, for all its sex-hating, world-hating attitudes, was much more like this. Overflowing love is the ethic of Christian love. It's supposed to be an outpouring of the heart. And I'm a little sympathetic to the romantic view that there's something beautiful, even if sad and dangerous, about a life that involves risk.
2: Yeah, I would say that that gives me a very full feeling of my life experience yeah. because there is contrast and texture to it. And there's a range of emotion. We've got the spectrum of emotion. I believe that you know the further we can go into the hurt and the pain and the depths of sorrow, the further we can fall into the euphoria and feel the greater pleasures and rewards in life. Mm.
1: That sounds right. Nietzsche had this view, too. He said there's something where, I don't know if I'm going to get it exactly right, but if you wanted to make a person who was incapable of feeling grief and pain, they would also be incapable of joy.
2: Uh, agree. That, <laughs> I actually agree with that. And that's
1: a bad bargain. Well, I
0: think it's dangerous. I think one- What I mean is, when a voice in my head says to me, I can make sure you never feel grief. Oh, I see what you mean. Oh. By the way, you'll never feel joy either. Right just sign on the bottom line. Oh, I see it. I think that that voice is a bad voice. Oh, I I thought you were commenting
1: on Nietzsche's view. I see.
0: No, no, no. My reference for the
1: word that. I see. It's kind of easy for me to kind of sign on to this, not that, but on on, on Nietzsche's view, because I'm actually, frankly, not a very risk-taking person. (laughs) I'm pretty risk-averse, but I think nobody can decide this for anybody but themselves about how much risk and heartbreak and grief they're willing to countenance, because... There's no calculus you can do that's going to tell you how to decide that. It's
2: if you don't welcome some of it in your life, it's impoverishing. It becomes a bigger boogeyman under the bed. Yeah,
1: Yeah. it's the other thing is that
2: I think there's a wonderful education in welcoming some of the heartache, Mm -hmm. some of the hurt, some of the suffering. Welcoming that brings uh, a familiarity to it, an understanding of perhaps what to expect, and perhaps a strengthening of how to survive it.
0: So I, I guess I'm, I feel like to some extent we're offering a public service advertisement in favor of desire. And I think that's good. And I want to talk it up a little bit more. So you said one thing that desiring a person, even at the risk of heartbreak, you get a sense of personal validation, right? You get a sense that you yourself are worthwhile because that person loves you back.
2: Yeah.
0: What else? What else does desire offer?
2: An enormous paint kit of colors to develop imaginings. I mean, it. it I would say it colors our world
0: because you're borrowing the beloved paint kit. Like you,
2: you are developing your own. You are utilizing your own in your desires. I think it's in- essential in this life.
0: Huh. Is the other person contributing anything at all? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I know that my rewards from my work in The Desire is pretty damn well satisfying on its own.
0: Right, you need the other person sort of as a theoretical construct, but, Hmm. but it could be, you know, I think a lot of people have parasocial relationships with celebrities. Could you get all the stuff you want by falling in love with someone who you'll never meet or like a saint, you know, medieval people would fall in love with saints and they were in heaven supposedly. Yeah. Um, Do you need the person? Sometimes,
2: you know what? I don't need the person. I don't need the person. I love where I'm able to go in my You're own. in love
0: with love, completely, but not with the beloved.
2: <laughs> oh. Is that right? I mean, it, it, you've just revealed it to me, but my... I just said it. I didn't reveal well, it. <laughs> uh, my devotion towards someone who I may or may not ever experience or encounter at all. Yes, it, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. And it's perhaps the reason why I permit myself to desire, because I know that that in itself is so delicious you like the
0: feeling of desire yes not I do the thing that you
2: my real name is Laura Desiree it is no, no, right did that mean it.
0: desire or desired <laughs> yeah. what is it what does it mean
2: it's desire
0: Laura Desire yeah I didn't realize <laughs> that um when I said does desire lead to suffering and your name is desire
1: <laughs> I think
2: I think it had I to be operating
0: unconsciously right? I
2: was it's it's a Neil Diamond song actually I was named after Laura Desiree oh is that right being oh, okay. in love with an older woman which my father was oh interesting
0: so here's something that worries me seeking validation from somebody else seems like a bad plan
2: yes it's how a lot of us as humans aware of ourselves operate right do you think it's a bad plan to say it again to to seek
0: validation from other people so in other words Like, Ah. I like telling jokes, but I'm going to find out if I should tell jokes or not by going out into the world and seeing if anyone laughs at them. And then part of me feels like, no, man, you should figure out what you want and not go and see how people respond.
1: What do you Here's think? what I think. I think when people say that you shouldn't seek validation from outside or from other people, I think what they mean is that you shouldn't do too much of that, because I don't think uh-huh. there's any such thing as not doing that at all.
2: Thank you. See? Thank you. So I think,
1: okay. I think we are absolutely socially interconnected, intertwined beings from birth. And we're constantly making eye contact, and little kids need to be paid attention to. I mean, uh, you know, it's as much an instinct as food and comfort and all the other bodily needs. People absolutely need recognition from caregivers and friends and family early on. So we're totally—I'm yes. going to do this again. Many episodes, I've found myself intertwining my fingers. He intertwined— okay. Yes, it's—but
0: right. this is us. Folks at home, Taylor is intertwining his fingers, yes.
1: This is us. So— there's no escaping that. So the idea of total autonomy and independence is a very unhealthy fiction. But that's just the baseline. There's no escaping it. And then the question is how to balance that with some need for autonomy and independence. That is to say, you can become slavishly dependent on people's approval and recognition, and Mm -hmm. then you will lose the sense of who you are and what your identity is. So it's a balancing act.
2: I mean, it's repulsive. A lot of us reflect on that part of ourselves and go, oh, that's gross. And then perhaps we try and disown it and deny it. But that's part of us. Mm, it's, yeah. it, thank you, Taylor, for saying that. <laughs> because Everyone says, oh, you shouldn't vie for others' approval to inform your self-worth. But part of that is being a self-aware creature on this planet.
1: There's a kind of civilized intersocial responsiveness to what other people think about what you're doing and how you look and what you're saying. Oh, Okay, but what about the idea
0: that we want someone to care about us who doesn't care about anything? That or I, I don't mean that. <laughs> Not that they don't care about anything. Forget that. That's logically yeah. impossible. Not Eric. that they don't care about anything. But that don't we find other people desirable if they're self-sufficient, if they have it going on themselves? Uh-huh. I was looking at some of your episodes. Maybe this is connected to um, dominance and submission. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That maybe there's part of us that seeks the person who's like, like people are attracted to vampires. Like the the, the vampire prince who doesn't need anything. And then if I get the validation from that vampire prince or vampire queen, then I don't need to worry about it. Because that person has it going on. And I'm just sort of slotting into their world.
2: They're a fantasy.
0: They don't exist.
2: No, I I think that to our core and our truth. Um, no one is entirely that way and not dependent on any kind of affirmation from social interaction. So I, I applaud individuals that do find gratification fantasizing about that because you're flexing your imagination. And I hope that you develop- I hope that are you, you
0: pointing at my piano?
2: I have my, <laughs> I have my arms soaring in I'm the air right writing,
0: now. I'm not writing hymns to vampire queens on my piano. What, you, what a notion. (laughs)
2: it's good to (laughs) fantasize about uh uh, uh, things that that don't exist in our world completely
0: okay well that was interesting (laughs) so we figured out that desire inherently involves suffering Mm -hmm. but the suffering of seeking connection and validation from other people is a deeply human need and should be embraced is that the answer
1: this is meshing very nicely with the Sartre episode we're going to do pretty soon which is all about this human relations are fraught with conflict and there's two ways they can tip over into what Sartre thought was going to be unsatisfying which is wanting to just be a total object for the other person's subjectivity and the other thing is to be a total invisible subject for the person who's totally objectified
0: Laura's position I think is she likes suffering like you like the suffering
2: not all suffering obviously. So
0: therefore not all of it So right. Am I misstating this?
2: I welcome it. You welcome it. I enjoy it. Yes, to a degree I do enjoy it because it sweeps me up in all sorts of sensations that remind me I'm alive Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that I have desires, which are the great it's the great motivator in life. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm I welcome it. Yes, there's a torture, yes, there's an ache, but it's something to be familiar with. You should know that that experience in yourself.
0: Right, and it's something to be familiar with why. Here's what I think is not true. I don't think it's true that because it's possible to have an experience, you'd be missing out on life if you didn't have that experience, like having an infected toenail. (laughs) Um,
1: I was going to say sword swallowing, but yeah. Yeah.
0: I would not want this podcast, nor would I personally want to get behind it. Well, you haven't had an infected toenail, so you should (laughs) go and cut your toenails with a dirty (laughs) pair of, of nail scissors and get them infected so you get to experience that because it's part of human experience. So we don't think that. Right. So what is it about aching desire? That makes it different from the infected toenail example.
2: It's our emotions. It's our emotional. But okay, experience. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna
0: be a little pedantic here for Come on. Time. Um, infected toenail gives me lots of emotions. I don't know if you've ever had
1: one. But <laughs> no, no. Okay. Does it? it, does it a lot of emotions or just one basic emotion, which is, man, I hate this and I wish I didn't have an I, don't, yeah. I know.
2: Do they, do they trigger deep fantasies in your mind? Doesn't
1: take,
0: okay, well, that's what I want to say. So one of the things about the ache of desire that makes it different from an infected toenail is it triggers deeper, more imaginative Emotion. Full of meaning. Correct.
1: Yeah. Okay. It's full of meaning. Meaningful. You know, Eric, before you and you're talking about total state of numbness, that's the way people describe depression. When they're very depressed, they yes. often say, I'm numb. I can't feel anything. And the reason I've heard that people sometimes cut themselves is because it makes them feel alive. It reminds them they're alive. They otherwise feel dead. And at least if you can feel pain, you're reminded that you're alive. Mm. Isn't that an answer to your question? Uh, that, it,
2: right? It's that fits.
1: Right. Right. Exercise, physical exercise is a kind of suffering but it's energizing.
2: It also is. It's going to grant you so much creativity in the experiences that you have and share with other people. Uh-huh. If you ha- if you take the time to fantasize in this state of desire, which, yes, means you want it, you don't have it, and there is a very real ache and a real suffering, uh, you permit your mind to start building these fantasies that may be something you can pursue and live, something that you can bring to an experience, be it in intimacy or be it in any time you share with another human being, I-, I think it is a benefit.
1: Here's another line to take, though. Consider this. There is a danger that one could get attached to one's desires and satisfactions and pleasures in a kind of addictive way, by which I mean that you're no longer able to tolerate episodes of equanimity and quiet and... That's me. Tall. Yeah, right. So in other words, there's another kind of pleasure, which some people describe as a very deeply satisfying and maybe the highest pleasure in life. It's this peace of mind, which makes you feel that everything is fine. You've got plenty of time. You can even reconcile yourself to your mortality and your death because you can concentrate. You can gain clarity. It would be a shame to lose that too. If you had no room in your life for something like that, that would be a loss, a different kind of loss, Yeah.
2: I, I that's a, a, an experience that I have no attachment to really yeah, I mean yeah. have I felt the, the great interesting settling comfort of just being and accepting that yeah. and feeling a, a sense of all the goodness in my life momentary yeah but no I, I don't I don't sit and meditate but I, I feel like
0: uh-huh. when you said that when you want something yeah. you don't really want it you just want the wanting of it that seems like a kind of equanimity because it's paradoxical but I think it's real because you want it, but you don't care if you get it.
2: So uh, side note, in my spare time, I write a lot of erotica. All right. So spending the headspace on the wanting and the desiring. Yeah, it grants me the vocabulary to then put it on page. All right. Mm -hmm. So that might just be a me thing.
0: (laughs) I'm sure it's not a you thing. So let's take a little break. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about this. a good break we came back and we're going to talk about this i think we had we came up with the answer and now i want you to raise some questions do you have any questions about about any of these well
2: well i haven't heard you eric even uh take a stand on is desire suffering yourself or does desire lead to suffering
0: i think i like your position i think desire leads to suffering but suffering is worth it because the alternative is numbness Mm -hmm. and i also think if we desire something that's greater than ourselves, mm. it can lead us to something greater than we were before we got hooked onto the desire. So, you know, I'm I'm reading my books and uh, I wanna be a professor. And then I fall in love with my wife. Mm. And suddenly that love actually caused me to have to take care of my family and leave uh, graduate school and become a writer. And it led me to a whole bunch of things that were scary and weird. But ultimately, I'm glad I did. So I sort of feel like one of the things Desire does, is it's like, it's almost like we have a hook in the top of our head. And then these Zeppelins are going, well, by <laughs> with rings. And you can hook your head onto that. Now I'm using hand gestures. Yes, you are. You've
1: got a hook finger there. But
0: you can hook your yeah. head onto the Zeppelin. And then suddenly you're flying above the city. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like Desire can take you out of yourself and carry you to another world
2: and what's the benefit of that
0: you get to go to another world it's great you get to be a more of a person you can accomplish greater things
2: is it irresponsible to stay far from the ground for too long no, is there a danger if you, you could
0: go someplace cool it's
2: definitely you know, a I danger
1: mean, oh, it's dangerous. dangerous stuff it is I, dangerous I, it is dangerous yeah. they don't give these jobs to right. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have the right stuff we shouldn't understate the the danger aspect because I do think different people are very different in the threshold of tolerance for risk and danger and so on. And well, so okay. I think it's very idiosyncratic and variable. So there's no one truth about it. I think people who are
0: sending marriage proposals to serial killers on death row oh,
1: yeah.
0: should receive mental health counseling. <laughs> so I certainly think there are desires that are terrible.
1: Although in a way that's very safe, though. I mean... It's very weird, but in a way, I think part of their motivation is that they get to sort of play out this fantasy because this person's on death row. They're never getting out. Interesting. So you have a captive object of your fantasy, right? I mean, I think that's part of what they're thinking. Okay, I'll come up with Yeah, you yet. need a better yeah. one.
2: Need a uh, here's example. a better
1: one. The
0: female prison guard mm. who let the guy out yep. because she loved him. Yep. I think she made a real mistake. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I don't think she should have done that. But she probably thought, well, who knows what she thought, but she might well have thought she was swept away by the romance. Maybe she
0: thought he was dreaming and her life was so boring and like dishwater.
1: Yeah. And I just feel she should have held out for somebody, <laughs> well, somebody you, better. Yeah, there's... <laughs> You're going to go out on a limb on that one, are you? Yes.
2: There's, just, there's an intoxication with desire and like intoxication in, say, the form of alcohol, vices, drugs, whatever you've got. There's a danger to that. Right. And so sometimes I do have to smack some sense into myself and say, you know what? You've spent a few hours in this headspace today. Let's just get back to life. Let's get back to reality here for a second. Right. I don't know if anyone else, either of you experience, maybe I've been in this trance of this daydream or this desire for too long. Sometimes I can't shake it.
1: In a way, I think that's a universal dilemma that Mm. human beings have to balance between The force of passion and desire and the kind of reality principle, you know, about like, well, the world is a certain way and this isn't going to happen and I better start (laughs) absorbing that. And I
0: I personally, (laughs) I I really enjoy being drunk and I think I would be drunk (laughs) all the time if I didn't have to get work done. And if it didn't ultimately kind of make me feel a little like
1: wrung out the next day. I was just going to ask if you could hang But, but
0: sort of the height, yeah. like just yeah. like just sort of two drinks in. Yeah. If I could be in that state all the time yeah. with no right. price tag.
1: It's nice. I, I might. Yeah. I don't
0: know. Because everything seems possible.
2: Uh, there's a pain and a suffering in having to pull myself out of it. And I come up against that often. I mean, I'm, I'm a content creator. I'm an independent empire of my own. And, mm-hmm. I, and I'm and i the only one calling the shots here, you know, and I'm I'm on deadlines. I have to meet them. So, yeah, I, I have to keep myself in line a lot. But I would love to stay in the realm of fantasy and just exist in my bed with my vibrator for months. You know, mm-hmm. that would be a wonderful <laughs> existence. Well, I mean,
0: if you can do the podcast from there. maybe. <laughs> Maybe, maybe we've got a business proposal. Yeah,
2: that would be huge, man. There you go. Ooh, that would be a major hit.
0: But no, because you want not just to be in your fantasies, but you want others to like your fantasies. You want them to participate. And that uh, might I, require it, getting out of
2: bed. That would require getting out of bed. I want them to experience them I I recently started sharing my actual sexting history Mm. in a one woman show that I'm doing in New York and I'm very early testing Mm. it but it's been such an incredible journey reading these real scripts of course information that's identifying has been removed but seeing the effect of it upon the audience welcoming them into my desires because a lot of this the the exchanges the correspondence wasn't actually ever met with a physical encounter it's just the longing and the desire and so sharing that with the audience it was such a an audible ache from them I couldn't they dug they, it.
0: Yes. because they because they had felt the same thing
2: yeah, I,
0: or, or you were giving them fuel for future things that they would want
2: I mean, it was very well-written, so it's likely that the drama of it all in itself was just very thrilling. However, I I, I wanted it to inspire the audience to take some of these risks themselves, to engage in this kind of, you know, dream weaving of sorts.
0: Right, I just wish there weren't a a permanent record.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that says a lot about your desires, my friend. (laughs) Sure, fair enough.
0: (laughs) I, if there could be some sort of version of sexting that involved a stick and the sand by the beach.
1: <laughs> no paper trail. Uh, yeah, no no paper trail.
0: Although nowadays, everyone has a phone, so anyone can take a
1: picture just of it. Just too etch-a-sketch.
0: I think we just have to accept that everything will be recorded, and anyone will be able to see anything forever, and that's
1: just. But the software is going to change and not be compatible with the hardware after 20 years, which means everything oh, is going to be unretrievable after 20 or 30 years. Mm. I'm more worried about that, Fingers actually. crossed. Yeah.
0: What else should we talk about? What are other questions related to this that we could use our time and the audience's time well by discussing?
2: I mean, there's a whole kink component to all of this as well. There What are- is it? Well, there are individuals that enjoy the suffering to a very physical experience, and they derive great pleasure from intensifying the suffering as much as possible.
1: Well,
0: it seems like they're going to win this game Mm -hmm. because if everybody has to suffer and they've decided they like to suffer and the more suffering, the better. Then uh, how can they go wrong? They seem like the chosen... Like Gods, God, you can
2: terrible. deny it. You can right. deny that you can deny the the desire by not honoring the punishment by not. Isn't that
1: also one of these psychological
2: social desires to be seen? well, there's a there's a culture of professional victims that exist oh. in our. Say social media world today. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think that they're a a despicable breed, personally. Oh, Oh, okay. You're thinking of like politicized ideological, kind of like completely white
1: male victimized. I was thinking about masochism. I was thinking about people who that you say they enjoy the
2: suffering, but isn't it the attention they're still craving?
0: What is it? Is it the attention or is it the? um...
2: It it, it can be both. I mean, they absolutely, it's the attention that they're getting, but
0: they like the idea. That it's not that they enjoy suffering, they enjoy a person that a person is causing them to mm-hmm. suffer.
2: Is that right? There could be a revisiting of a trauma yeah. right. that is satisfied in the reenactment of mm-hmm. it. And sometimes the individual that is seeking out the reenactment, maybe they feel the pleasure in portraying themselves once again but sometimes they derive the pleasure in taking the role of, say, the person that inflicted the pain in the first mm-hmm. place. Right.
0: Is it a way of coping with, like, the ultimate fate of our bodies is death? Yeah. Ultimately, death will destroy our bodies. So if you are playing that out in a kink space, are you sort of getting getting control over death by
2: welcoming it? This all reminds me of... Uh super masochist Bob Flanagan, performance artist of uh, I believe the early 90s. There's a great documentary about him called Sick. Uh And his entire art was him inflicting pain upon himself because he was dealt the unfortunate hand of cystic fibrosis. And it was getting gradually worse and worse and his body became a, a pain to exist within. And he has a very uh, controversial underground fame in uh, his his presentations of receiving pain, saying, "I'm taking control of this." Right. I can hurt myself more than this universal card dealt by right. whomever yeah. above
0: right. Well, that sounds like a pretty reasonable approach,
2: yeah, you it's know? It's fascinating yeah. work. I mean, nailing your your dick to a wooden board,
0: right, right. Well yeah. then, but then there better be some vaccines.
2: <laughs> <laughs> or not.
0: Oh, really? The infection. When he would sneak out an infected dick as part of his artistic practice.
2: His body was failing him at every possible How did he doing?
0: Can we have him on the podcast?
2: Oh, he is. Unfortunately. I, I was making a joke. There we go. I, I'm pretty there. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. Amazing life, though.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, from some of the details of his life story, I imagine he was not uh, around to do
2: podcasts.
0: And stuff, yeah. yeah. And and
2: Bob Requiescat.
0: All right, so so that's masochism. Are there other kinks we should talk about before we run out of time?
2: Pain. I mean, there's there's such a versatility within.
0: Is there or does it all boil down to some version of
2: corporal punishment or
0: submission in in some different flavor?
2: Well, that's just it's the different flavor. The different You've flavors. got you know the verbal, the denial, the actual corporal punishment. Right. The, there's a wide spectrum of torment that you can inflict well, upon sure. a person or request for yourself. Right. Forms of humiliation.
0: So why do people want to be humiliated? What's going on there? And and I guess I'm looking for, like, if you say, well, there's this weird thing in their brain because the way they were treated and they were too, that's one kind of explanation. But I'm wondering, is there like a more spiritual explanation? Because if, if I have some weird thing in my brain because my mom dropped me on my head when I was two, then I think what I kind of should seek is a, is a therapy to take it out. <laughs> But if there's a good spiritual payoff for being humiliated, then maybe I I want to turn my scars into stars. Maybe it's a worthwhile thing.
2: There's a a very commendable bravery in the, what we call submissive Mm. in kink settings that often goes unsung because they are subjecting themselves to incredible forms of pain. Humiliation is an emotional, deeply shameful, it's emotional pain. It's emotional That's, pain, but surviving so, it and enduring it. you read the thing
0: about Tylenol? That Tylenol, it we all know it removes the pain of a headache, but it also removes the pain of loneliness and social rejection.
1: Just Tylenol? Oh, Wait, I does Advil that. do this? I don't know if Advil does Just ad, Tylenol, really? Um,
0: and by the yeah. way, full disclosure, we are not sponsored no. by Tylenol. <laughs> but it we might be the soon. Fact that I heard it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, and, and to me, it's a deep fact, because I think the pain of social rejection and the pain of breaking your leg are the same, because social rejection can lead to death. Um,
2: Look, here's, here, we need to be reminded of our mortality. Yes. Am I going somewhere with this, perhaps? I think that we do have a compelling force within us to be reminded that we are mortals and danger exists and that the potential of all of this ride of life coming to an. we need to kind of come to terms with that sometimes so when we do engage in say even a humiliation you're setting yourself up for a reminder of what hurts and what's a discomfort and what makes me a mere mortal right
0: mm-hmm. So that sounds very philosophical Taylor because didn't Socrates say philosophy is a preparation for death? He did indeed
1: preparation for death.
0: What a kinky thing to say now.
1: And he's not (laughs) the only one who thought something like that was right. Um, I've never really wanted a tattoo or piercings or anything like that and when I see people with them one thought that comes into my mind is wow that's like a that's like maybe a lifetime commitment and then my next thought is that's quite admirable that they're willing to make that commitment like maybe I'll have this tattoo forever. I know you can have them removed and whatever but it's. Or the
0: hundredth podcast. Podcast, would you be willing to get a tattoo or piercing um, on the show?
1: We'd have to talk, we'd have to talk about that a little bit more. Right. But, okay. but the point I was getting to was like I, then I thought, well, who do I think I am? I'm not, like that I'm going to live forever, <laughs> like that I'm so squeamish about getting a tattoo that's never going to go away. Well, it's going to go away, you know, in less than a mm. hundred years. Um, so I think my wanting to preserve the pristine, untouched, uninked flesh. Is a kind of illusion of immortality, like, and that they maybe these body modifications are kind of an acknowledgement of the transience of the body. And I thought actually that's kind of brave. That's I don't know if I'm right about it. that's the Let motivation. Me to see
2: you next yeah, year, yeah, that's right. As you've as you
1: now that I've covered
2: yourself and now that I've seen, in, <laughs> that I've yeah. seen the light. Now, do you yeah. guys
0: know yeah. that there are at least a hundred books extant printed on human skin?
1: Uh, yeah, I have. I do know that. I uh, from the 19th century and not so much recently. I hope, but um. There are lots of books that were bound with human skin. That's true. But it yeah. just
0: occurred to me that if and, you wanted to live forever, ah, you could have your final book, my own book tattooed on your body and then and then have it
1: limited edition.
0: Created, turn it into a limited edition.
2: Wow, that like, is
0: what have you been doing lately? I've been reading Taylor. Oh, I like to read <laughs> Taylor. No, you don't
1: understand. I'm literally reading Taylor. I've been reading his left shoulder blade for <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. This kinky stuff, guys. Maybe yep. as I age, I will get more tattoo curious.
0: Let's see. Let's see. But if, I do think it'd be interesting. And if we ever, if we ever have more of a lively relationship with our our audience, they can vote on what you should get. Out
1: <laughs> they can write in and request. It'll be a yeah. yeah let the people decide.
0: <laughs> yeah, I went to a strange thing a couple months ago in uh, Bombay Beach where. People could get a free tattoo from a tattoo artist, but they couldn't know what it was going oh. to be. So they just put their leg through a hole and she was on the other side of it and there was a curtain. Oh, um,
1: and
2: that's that's I a thought lot that of, was pretty wild. I the, you know, We've had glory holes for <laughs> yeah. all of existence.
0: And, and it was a lovely um, flower. It turned out to be on this woman's leg, but it could have been anything.
2: Thought,
1: Make America great again.
0: <laughs> yes. <Mega>. Oh, man. <laughs>
1: bummer oh wow why did <laughs> that- you
0: why did you become a a weird cross-cultural uh, tattoo artist if that's what you <laughs> it
1: was a risk i took the risk and you know sometimes you win sometimes you lose i got the maga tattoo <laughs> yeah. yeah
2: that's episode six in this season's black mirror right yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. be very careful well,
0: well i'm gonna i'm gonna bring this to an end but i should not necessarily get the last word i want to say thank you for being on the show
2: Thank you so much for having me. This was riveting and very different from uh, a lot of the conversations I've had. This is fun. Excellent. Good,
0: good, thank you for being on it. I think I think it shed some light on this question and that the people at home dare to desire. You might be glad you did, even if it causes suffering.
2: Mm.
1: Excellent.
0: Okay, peace. <laughs>